your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking, and today is the Power Hour. I've got Ethan and John with me from Pittsburgh Power. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about everything maintenance. Engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, horsepower, torque, emissions, electrical, new technology, you name it. We'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call. We're going to get to your calls in just a little bit. Ethan, John, welcome. Good to be here, Kevin. Thanks. Good to be here again. Is uh, Bruce playing? Uh, he's uh, off running around, not joining us today again? He, he's out <laughs> having his uh, blood centrifuged or something like that. So. <laughs> All right. We'll uh we'll give him a pass today, I guess. So uh anything new and exciting okay. over there this week? Uh, not on my end. I don't know what you have anything there, Ethan? Uh not too much exciting going on. Ethan was sick for half of the last week, so uh we were struggling without him, so he's a little overtaxed now. Got making it back this week. Yeah, well good. Glad you're back amongst the living. Uh, you know, I think I'm going to uh, start a drive. We should just shut down the country between Thanksgiving and New Year's. Nobody does any work anyway. <laughs> I'm fine with that. It's, we, do it's, have a, we, we do have a little flurry of business right now. It seems that uh, some of our guys have done fairly well this year and have a little money to get rid of. Uh, getting the request to have the uh, invoicing done on the uh, 31st at the latest. So uh, so that's a good thing. I think that's a good sign for, uh, for how, how our guys are doing. So I thought, that makes me happy. That is good. You know, and I've been talking about that on the air. I do this every year. At the end of the year, if you're in business, everybody hates to pay taxes. We're eventually going to pay them, but the longer I can put them off, the better. So I tell people, look at the first quarter of next year and accelerate anything you can into this year. You know, get it on the books this year. It's even more important now because it does look like that tax bill is going to go through. We, we should know by tomorrow. And if it does your deduction's going to be worth less next year. So you might as well get it this year so you get it sooner, and it's going to be a bigger deduction. So I've been uh, telling people to, to look at that. You know, and it's a good time. It's going to slow down for the holidays. Take time off. Get your truck in the shop. Get it done. Um, you guys will have to be busy during the holidays, but you'll just have to deal with it. Yeah, we're fine with that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it quiets up afterwards. As I recall, last year, January, got really quiet. So uh, a little flurry of activity down, then we'll, we'll we'll take a break later. That's fine by me. Yeah, there you go. So I, I've been busy wrapping up the year, and I haven't been doing as much reading and research. couple big things I saw on the electric side, which is, you know, kind of the hot topic right now. One, that uh, company with that crazy-looking truck that came out of nowhere, they now claim they're going to beat Tesla to market. That's kind of interesting. Although theirs is a much yeah. shorter range, 300 sure. miles. They, uh, well, and they seem a little more practical about it all, right? So yeah. they, they do claim a huge torque number, which is possible. But they, uh, 
you know, they're, they've taken Tesla's first concept. Remember they talked about the switchable batteries and maybe the battery being part of a trailer and, uh, you know, have batteries at certain places being charged that swap in. So these guys have adopted that. That seems to be their uh, uh, their deal, which, which will involve some infrastructure, too. So I'm, it's going to be really specialized at first. But, uh, yeah, the Thor thing, that that uh, I found that was interesting. And they didn't build a whole truck either. They just bought some – you basically bought a glider kit from uh, – uh, Navistar and uh, did their own own body work on the front of it and then added all their stuff to it. So um, yeah, interesting. Uh, you know, that that seems more practical and very obtainable right now. So let's see what happens with it. Yeah, yeah. And then I I sent you a link. Uh, pretty interesting. Um, some research being done that they're really close to believing they could triple the current range with some new battery technology. Oh, that stuff's growing rapidly. It's, the, the battery technology is really what's going to drive all of this. Yeah, and the motor technology, too. You can't discount that. You know, I saw you know, one of my trips to Hylion. I saw a, uh, they were experimenting with a 400-horsepower motor that was about the size of a half keg of beer. Oh. You know, there was not a whole lot to wow. it. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. So that's uh, that was really about all I saw this week. Um you know, there, there's so much going on, though, so much changing. It's uh, it's going to be a really interesting 2018. ELD mandate went in yesterday, and all I saw on Facebook was how many of the ELD company servers crashed. Um, nothing like everybody <laughs> waiting until the last minute. Um, you know, we knew this two years ago. And I was, I was, and even the right. even the people that got on board early though suffered yesterday, because they've been working this out. They've tried different mm-hmm. systems. They settled on one they liked. It's been working just fine until yesterday when everybody got on board. And I saw two or three ELD providers whose servers seemed to be down. Nobody could connect. So uh, it was looking a little ugly. Yeah. I saw I saw that article too. I thought that was kind of funny, but you know it's money, right? So everybody went the last minute to buy. I can't tell you how many people had called me or the friends of mine in uh, racing who were wondering what ELD to buy for their truck. And I'd done a little bit of research. I, I kind of really like the VDO. I, I think that looks like a really nice piece. And the uh, you know so everybody waited to buy. So you guarantee these companies probably didn't upgrade in the way in the way they knew they needed to because they didn't want to spend the money because. You know, people aren't buying the things until the very last minute. So it was a snowball effect of that, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And it were it was the companies who had done some of that last-minute marketing everybody was talking about. I saw a lot of people jumping on board a couple different platforms. Those were the ones that were down. Um, you know what? And we deal with technology here uh, a lot, and we know how hard it is. You know, we'll, we'll put out an app. Or an update, and there'll be a bug, and you know it drives Lisa crazy. She's like, "Why can't we get this right?" And I'll say, "Wait a minute, you know, Apple has what like a billion dollars in the bank. They're the most successful company ever on the history of the planet, and they release a new operating system, and within hours they have to put out updates because something was wrong. That's just technology." Yeah. That, that's just how it works. It, it, there's too many variables, too many. You you can test and test and test and test, and it's not going to matter. The The minute you release it, somebody's going to find something you didn't find. And then you do updates, and that's just the world we live in with technology. I just don't know that that's going to change anytime soon. It's not going to. Nope. 
that's how development happens. You got to got to run it. You got to put the car together, and you got to go run it and see what it does, right? So, yeah. And then uh, then you'll know what to fix. Yeah. So you know, wait till these electric trucks hit the market. We're going to see this kind of stuff. You're going to see problems. You know, people are saying, "Oh, wait till they hit the road; they're going to break down." Well, yeah, they are. Of course, they are. But so do our trucks today, and we've been working on them for about a century. So, you know, things break. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, this is my opinion only. Uh, I, I have those. I believe they're going to be simpler than the, the current trucks, with the uh, you know after treatment systems and all the complicated systems on the current trucks. I really believe the electric are going to be a whole lot simpler. They're probably going to be a whole, cost a whole lot less to build, and I believe that they will be. You know, there's going to be a computer on there that does a whole lot of stuff, and there's going to be some wiring, but you know that there'll be complicated programs and complicated things within that. But I really believe that with the, uh, you know, the regenerative braking, you're not going to have as big. That won't have the wear and tear on the drive line that you have now. You're not going to have, uh, yeah, for them to be more reliable and actually simpler. I think there will be fewer things to break on them. There will be way fewer. There will be way less moving parts. That's for sure. Yeah. So which means, it, it, yes, they might break down, but the the types of breakdowns are going to be very very similar so they're going to be easier to figure out and fix you're not going to be dealing with so many different possibilities of things that could go wrong because they are pretty darn simple i tell people all the time if you want to get your head around this stop in at one of the tesla stores in the mall and just look at the chassis they have sitting there and when you first look at it you think why do they have a frame sitting on the floor but it's not just the frame it's 90% of the vehicle. You stick it's a body. Everything. It's everything. Yeah. You stick a body yep. on that thing and you're done. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it'll be software glitches. It'll be computer things. It's going to be stuff like that, but it won't be uh, you know, stuff breaking, wires breaking. I guarantee there'll be a whole lot less wiring in one, even though it's ele- electronic. I mean, if you look at the harnesses and the things we have now, yeah. there's no way the wiring harnesses are going to be as complicated as the ones we have now. Oh, all the after-treatment wiring? Yeah. yeah, it's going to have one big screen that tells you everything. Is You're not going to have all the gauges. You're not going to have everything under the sun there. It's going to be really simple. I really do. I'm expecting the diagnostics to be really cool. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure they will be. Yeah, I bet they will be. Hey, there's the music. We're going to get to a break. When we come back, we're going to get to your calls and questions. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. It is the Power Hour. I've got Ethan and John with me. We're going to get to your calls here in just a minute. John, you know, you and I have been talking about all this new technology, and mostly around trucks, but electric. So I was looking at Teslas again and seeing what they've been up to. And I hardly ever buy new vehicles. I mean, I I, I don't even think I've bought four new ve- cars. I used to buy a lot of new trucks. Uh, but cars, it just seemed to make so much more sense. Let somebody else take that big hit in the first year, get the bugs worked out, and I'll buy it with eight or 10,000 miles on it, keep it forever, um, which is what I've got now. I've got a bunch of cars I've had, you know, a decade or more. And we keep talking about all this technology, and I got the bug. So I was out looking at new cars, and it is <laughs> just amazing, the technology and what's becoming standard on a lot of models now you know you got to move up maybe to one of the luxury brands but their standard models have you know almost everybody now has lane departure automatic braking some sort of parking exists you know 360 cameras um, just crazy amounts of technology that again basically standard on a lot of models so you know this stuff just doesn't cost a whole lot no it doesn't and not a whole lot to it. It's pretty amazing. I, I'm in love with you know the rental cars I've had recently with the uh, cruise control with the adaptive cruise. I think it's terrific. Uh, it, that that just uh, blows me away. And some of them I think are a little overkill. I was watching a commercial for like <laughs> it was a new Chevy, and they have rear seat reminder. Oh, like yeah. you kind of forgot your kid in the back and left them in there <laughs> while you went to the store or something. Oh, no way. <laughs> I haven't seen that really. Rear seat reminder. Yeah, I haven't seen that one either. I wasn't yeah. quite sure what it was for, but it was called rear seat reminder. I'm like, like you forgot about your kid back there? Or, uh... That must be what it is. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, I was just laughing when I heard that one. Yeah. It was on a Chevy. Well, yeah. Y- you know, <laughs> if you watch the pattern of these kind of things, the, the, the American brands tend to, like you just said, it's almost over the top. They'll tend to load up on all kinds of crazy features where, you know, some of the European brands or even the Japanese tend to use what's practical. You know, they they don't just dump everything possible. Like there's one Chevy commercial where they stack up like six different other SUVs and say, if you wanted all the technology that's in the Chevy, you'd have to buy all six of these cars. But it's, it's goofy stuff like that. Like, yeah, your your dog's still in the back seat, right. you know. Do I really need that? <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, crazy stuff. But, it, but again, it, it's happening really fast. I mean, stuff that a couple years ago we thought was really out there um, becoming pretty standard on a lot of models now. So I, I was pleasantly surprised at some of the stuff that's available but um it's going to be an interesting time so what do you say we get to some phone calls absolutely all right let's head off to mississippi edward welcome to the program hello what can i help you with today hello hello hey i um i have a uh 96 W900 with a Detroit motor. Um, I think Ethan's the one that did the programming on it um, with uh, Kurt and uh, Phoenix. 
um, I need to know what kind of transmission I should get and because um, I can't change out the gearing in the rear end and Kurt was telling me that uh, the um, the gears may have been changed from the originals so I would like to know if you could tell me what kind of gears I got we should probably be able to come there pretty I'd close. Have to... oh, go ahead Ethan yeah, there's a couple ways we can do that. Um, I can look and see what the program would have said, and we can go from there. So you'll have to give me a call because I'm not at my computer where I have that at. Um, after the show, give me a call there, and I'll look it up for you. And what that's only as good as, though, is what somebody put in the ECM. The best way to do it would be to, like, mark the drive shaft and mark the tires and then do a rotation and count the rotation, and it'll get you pretty close. Oh, uh, well... I heard that uh, Kevin could do, uh, like, I'm at 64 miles an hour. I can come pretty close. Yeah, what? Let's go through the numbers, and I can usually come pretty close. What, um, we we don't know the rear ends. Do we, yes, we have to have so many of the variables. We'll have to guess you've got a double overdrive transmission. Is it a 10 or a 13 speed? No. No. It's a 10-speed single overdrive. Well, you... It, it's a .73. Yeah, that gets a little tricky. We call it a single overdrive, but it's the same gear ratio as a 13-speed double. It's, it's, it's a double, that, yeah. Yeah, you only have one overdrive gear. You just have gear. a big old drop between 9th and 10th. Yeah, so we'll, we'll go with that because that's pretty standard. What tire size? An 11R-225. Okay, I and... I did change them out. And give me a speed and an RPM that you know. Uh, 64 miles an hour, 1,600 RPMs. Ooh. Um, either 370, somewhere between 370 and 390. It could be the 370s, the 373s. It might even be 390s, though, with 11R to be at that high of an RPM. I think those might be 390s. Yeah, I'm going go um, 390. Yeah. Because it, it's supposed to come with 370s, but uh, a friend of mine was telling me that he doesn't think so, and then Kurt was saying that they could have changed them. Yeah, clearly a truck that old, the, you always look at the possibility they've been changed, and it sounds like it's closer to 390. Which okay? Now why um, can't you change the? Why can't you change the gear in the? Why can't you change the I, gears? I just don't have the money for it. But do you need okay. a transmission? Yeah. Is that why we're asking about a transmission? Do you need one? Um. Yeah, I can get my hands on a thirteen-speed or a uh, fifteen. You know, the 15s are just a little odd. Um, they have, you know, pretty weird ratios in them. I, with 390s, I don't know why you just wouldn't. If you have to get a transmission and you can't change gears, uh, I would go with uh, a 13-speed double over. You'll be fine. Your, your top gear RPMs are going to be exactly the same. It's going to be the same. Yeah, but you're going to yeah. have the ability to split a couple gears, so it'll it'll make it more drivable. So... 
what would it bring my RPMs down if I change the tranny? It, it won't at it all. Won't. It's going to be exactly you've the already, same. You, yeah, you've already got the biggest overdrive. Yep. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, 390 yeah, gears are just direct, and you don't realize it, in which case, yeah, yeah. Then we, if it's a 10 direct, we'd have to have some really weird gear ratio, and they're like 290s, uh, 293s, somewhere around there. I kind right. of doubt that. Um, so no, I, 264s are great with that. We, uh, I, I've been educated here recently. Steve Crone's truck's still in the shop here, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, so going through some of his philosophies and such, he's got 264s and a 10 direct. That 10 direct is actually quite a nice transmission. It's got a huge range got a really low first and a really low reverse and top gear is direct so it's got a really nice spreads in between and uh so for the 264 setup it's great because 10th gear is actually just direct there's no yeah. uh you don't have to go through any overdrives or, or through any auxiliaries to get to it yeah and it works out really well so we took that transmission and we have all the gears and everything out in uh, at wpc in california having all the metal treatments done to them so we'll see how that thing rolls when it gets back ah interesting so don't when I can do the gears, um, uh, don't go with the 255s? With that Series 60, I wouldn't go that high. Um, I would stick it. 264 works well with that engine, but we don't want to go much higher than that. Okay. You can even do a 273 with that engine. It works really well, especially if you've got a double overdrive. I kind of prefer going with the 273 because I know I have two more gears up there when I need them. It's just a little bit more startability, but it's really not a big issue. We've done 264s many, many, many times. They work great, but I wouldn't go higher than that. Okay. Would that the 264s work on this 10 to get the RPMs down? Yes. They. Oh, no, wait a yeah, it's a ten-speed oh, overdrive. Yeah, you, you'll run in nine. You'll turn it. You'll, right. Yeah, you'll have to uh, run in ninth. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. With that ten-speed, okay. you would run in um, ninth, and you would have a really, really big overdrive. Um, that's almost useless, but it's there. If you're Bob Taylor or empty, sometimes it works. We'll be right back. We'll. Uh, I'll come back to you, Edward. Make sure we get that answered for you. Stick around. Kevin Rutherford, this is the Power Hour. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I'm going to head back to Mississippi. 
Uh, Edward, does that help? Yeah, it sure did. All right. Good then. Hey, Ethan, I want to address something with you because I had this question over the weekend and I answered it the best I could, and somebody just sent me a message. They're fighting about it on Facebook again. No big surprise. Um, I had a caller who had, <laughs> I don't even remember the details of it, but some sort of an electrical failure truck wouldn't start. Um, they unplugged the ELD, and the truck started just fine. If they plugged it back in, it would shut off. So they were claiming the ELD was causing the problem. My thought was, unless somebody really programmed some sort of goofy ELD, if you can even do that, that it wasn't the ELD itself, it was probably the port or the wiring. And and by plugging any device in, you would probably have the same effect, right? Yes, it sounds like they were grabbing the ignition wire or some sort of power wire that was actually needed for the ECM uh, to start the truck. Because you don't want to directly wire those to the key switch, I wouldn't think so. Because the key switch wire goes to the ECM, and if you have too big of a draw on it from like a device like an ELD, it can actually drop the voltage below where the truck will start. Got it. And that's what I thought, that it wasn't the fact that we have an ELD. It's the fact that there's been some sort of a wiring issue or a connector issue that, you know, I said, probably plug in the scan gauge on this truck. It might do the same thing. That, it, that it's not the ELD itself causing. So now people are claiming that they're causing emissions and engine failures and all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> I've been getting questions nonstop, especially today, since I didn't know that they uh, initially mandated it right away. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, my last week wasn't much fun, but I've been getting a lot of calls on wiring them. And can this happen? Can this happen? I'm having this problem. So at the moment, I'm getting a ton of calls about them. How bad? I'll bet. Yeah. Well, it's going to be fun. All right. Let's head off to Georgia. Frank, welcome to the program. Yes, I'm toying with the idea of buying a 14 or 15 Cascadia fleet truck. And I was wondering, can that truck be uh, fixed where the, the, uh, the, yeah. Uh, the DPF and all that stuff would work good. The emissions. Well, that that already works pretty good on those. Uh, Detroit's done a really nice job with that system. Is probably the most reliable out there. Uh, oh, don't you? So, but don't, don't some people come in having the ECM rework so it would help out or something like that or. Oh yeah, well we could do some tuning on that. We're still working. That's the uh, EPA fourteen and up. We're not. We don't have a off the shelf for tune for that right now. Ethan's got some stuff he's working on, and we've got a test truck coming in over the holidays. We're going to do some work with. Uh, we do keep all of the emission controls functional, but we uh, do make it work a little bit better. So we get uh, you know take out some of the uh, uh, annoyances, shall we say, uh, D rates and things like that here and there. And we can do, uh, you know, but we keep everything fully functional, and we find you some more horsepower too. Okay, uh, so how much? What's the uh, price range? And do you need to make an appointment to bring it in, and all that kind of stuff? You will keep listening to the show. We'll let you know when we're ready with that tune. Uh, I'm looking toward February, probably. 
Uh, you can make an appointment, okay. and the tune's going to cost uh, $2,250. Okay. All right. That's about it. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. All right. We're, uh, hey, I should stay away from Facebook, I swear. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I just happened to look down because I knew you were going to answer that question. And somebody was commenting on the Amtrak crash yesterday, which, which was right here, uh, not far from where I live. Um, we're yeah. up in that area all the time. I've been on that train. Not that particular train, but I've been on that run. We've taken the train from Seattle, Portland to Seattle and Vancouver. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful drive. But somebody said, Here, here's their, their point. Um, Amtrak is saying the automatic speed reduction equipment wasn't turned on. Kevin, Kevin Rutherford keeps saying autonomous vehicles will be much safer. Well, I do keep <laughs> saying that, and you just made my point. It was the human that decided to go 80 exactly. miles an that, hour. That was human error. Exactly. He, he decided to go 80 <laughs> miles an hour in a 35 zone, and the safety equipment wasn't turned on. Had it been, the autonomous technology probably would have saved all those lives. Unbelievable. Yeah, they, uh, the, the autonomous would have been fine. I, I, I trust computers. I really do. Oh, well. <laughs> Especially once you work up a few little bugs. Yeah. Well, they're very repeatable. That, yep. That's exactly the whole point. With humans, we have a thousand variables. We're not consistent at anything. We're good at thinking and problem solving, but we are very, very bad at repetitive tasks because we, we don't pay attention. So many things can go wrong. Once you program a computer to do something, it's going to do it right about a million times, you know, without a failure. And then when you have a failure, you're going to figure it out and you're going to fix it. So, you know, the argument, I I understand, again, why people are afraid of the autonomous technology. I get it. But it's not the safety you should be afraid of. What you should be afraid of is it is going to put people out of jobs. That's what you need to pay attention to and figure out. But the safety, it's just like all the cars. Like I said, I went and looked at the cars there's no question that technology is saving lives. The automatic braking, the lane departure warnings, all of those things are already saving lives. Yep. Oh, and in in some ways, they're creating jobs too. It's just different jobs. That's, you, you know, absolutely. That's, that's stuff. Right. There are engineers. There are teams of engineers working on developing that technology. There are. You know, these are all people that are making money and contributing to our economy. It, it, it's there's there there are plenty of jobs. You know, in there's going to be different jobs. So be be prepared. As, you know, the reason I like to talk about this is you you know every we need to get our head you know collectively our our heads out of the sand. I feel mine's pretty far out, but uh, you know you have to be ready. You have to know, and you have to maybe start doing some studying. You know, or or teach your children well, as I like to say. I you know, I'm a big believer in education. I mean, teach teach your kids. You know. Get get ready, and there's a ton of opportunity out there. There's just so much uh, for a technical-minded person right now. That's amazing. I read an article on it was a Google or Alphabet self-driving car, mm-hmm. and the number one accident that it occurred was being rear-ended by a human driver. <laughs> <laughs> well, at stoplight. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, John, you make a good point. The car is programmed. Go ahead, Ethan. The car was programmed to pause a second before accelerating on a green light, 
and the human drivers tend to slam the gas on a green light, <laughs> and everybody kept running into the back of the car. Right, didn't accelerate quick enough. Yeah, so. You know, John, if we look at the trend over the last 30, 40, 50 years, we started graduating in this country a lot more lawyers than engineers and scientists and mathematicians, which was a really bad trend for us. Many other countries started graduating more engineers and mathematicians and scientists and and taking those jobs here. But let's just look at the, the history of trucks. When I started 32 years ago, I'm trying to. Th- I don't think there was a truck sold anywhere in the United States that wasn't built here, was there? I'm trying to I think. I believe it, so. Back ev- then, every brand well, 30 years ago yeah. would have been an American brand. I can't think of any that weren't. Maybe it, you know you still saw some Mercedes, those Mercedes cab over straight jobs on True. the furniture company. Yeah, I think that was about all that. Yeah, you're right. I wasn't alive. Right. You weren't alive yet. <laughs> That's alive right. Yet. Yeah. yeah you, so if but we I look remember at those things still being pretty abundant back in back in the early eighties. Yeah. But that was it. That was the only the, one. Yeah. Right. You're right. So if we look at that, all the trucks were American made. They've all disappeared or been bought by foreign companies. And now we, mm-hmm. what do we have left? Packard and International. Um, those are the only two, and I can't even keep track of who owns who anymore. Um, and some well, of the, the, well, international was just bought by Volkswagen, weren't they? That it doesn't doesn't uh, didn't VW right. just buy well, controlling interest in, in uh, I Navistar? Think, I think so. You're right. So yeah, so so, so, so that that may have ended as well. Yeah, that wasn't a great trend. But let's look at the three new companies that we could see semis on the road here. We have Thor, Tesla, and Nikola. They're all American companies. Yep. That's yeah, a good that trend. Cool? Yeah. That's a good trend. And we're starting to get, I believe, more and more engineers involved in a lot of this technology. And that's what you're saying. There's going to be new jobs. And probably better. Well, not probably. They will be. People just need to get prepared for them or get your kids prepared for them or your grandkids. That's what's coming. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. We're going to get right back to the phones. We're off to Utah. John, welcome to the program. Well, hi, Kevin. John, Ethan, thank you guys for taking my call. You're welcome. What can we help you with today? Well, I got an oil sample there, and I had a couple questions about it and then also a comment. But 
I guess the first question would be what you think of this latest one. Uh, let's see. So this It's an ISX what year? It's a 16. Okay. And about 326,000 on the truck and about 27,000 on the sample. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And do you have an OPS? I do not. I I have the spinner, too, on it. Okay. All right. Uh, Everything looks clean. I mean, I'm not seeing anything at all. It's uh, no fuel dilution, no soot. Uh, This is a 10W30, so your viscosity at 11.9 is right on. Um, Base is down low, but that's common. Again, these new oils are doing that. They may even already be adjusting their numbers because you're down at 3.8, and they haven't flagged it at all. So that's a good sign. Um, No wear metals, no coolant, no dirt, nothing to... uh, Wait a minute. I just looked back on the last sample. The one you did in September, was your lead at 206 back then? Is that right? Yes, it was. That was going to be my comment. Yeah, that base number? (sighs) Looking at those, that one was bad. It was eating the main bearings. I ended up putting main bearings in this. That's why the new sample... Okay. That, yeah, I, I, the new sample looks good. I just happened to glance back at that old one and saw yeah. saw that 206. The base was down to 1.44. Here, uh, two problems I see, though. You were at 86,000 miles on that sample. I, I don't recommend extended drains with the spinner. I think the spinner is an excellent yeah. additional filter, you know, to keep our oil clean but it doesn't seem to do well with extended drains, although I wouldn't have expected that kind of a failure at 86,000 miles. Um, I, I would Yeah, because I had called you on that. Go ahead. Go ahead, Kevin. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, I had called you on that second one when the base was at 2.38. Right. Because I was kind of concerned, you know, that it that it went from the green to the orange, and, and we were talking about how these new oils are coming with, you know, they're showing up with a lower base number, so we weren't too concerned about it, so that's why I ran it a little bit further. Well, but, man, yeah. that was definitely not a good idea because, like I say, the main bearings, I ended up replacing them. Here's the other thing, though. Um, we, if we look back at that, that last sample where the base was 1.44, um, Oxidation wasn't bad. Yeah. Nitration wasn't bad. There were no no fuel dilution, no coolant, um, no real soot. So, John, even if the base is low, I guess if the oil gets acidic enough, is that what's attacking the bearings? That's what I, I'm not sure. You know, when I took it to the shop, of course, Cummins, I, I showed them that sample, and, of course, they jumped right on right away and made me pay for it and said they weren't going to warranty the engine if I didn't replace those marine bearings well, and all that. But they never really gave me no, you know, other than they said it was my fault for running it too long, you know. Well, so, here, here's the thing, and I've talked about this many times. People will, people will say, does the OPS void your warranty? Absolutely not. Neither does the spinner. And, and if we have an engine failure and we can show them oil samples where there was nothing out of spec then they can jump up and down and scream all they want that, you know, you ran your oil too long, but we can prove it wasn't the oil that caused the failure. 
they are still on the hook for the warranty. But in this case, they could probably point at this oil sample, and not that it's extended, but that the base had dropped so low. Um, and and But again, John, is this just acid attacking the bearing? It could be. Uh, I'm not sure. I did some reading on that base number thing with this new spec oil, and evidently they've got a different measurement method as well now. So the thing that that I read said the base is actually not as low as it seems to be by the number. Right. But there's a whole different, uh, what is it, ASTM certification thing. that, And they gave an equivalency to the previous. So, you know, the lab should change their method for, for flagging it. And so the base, even though the number is lower, still has its resistance to the, the acid and the oxidation. So I, I'm not, uh, not going to be convinced of that. Uh, that it was that it was you know something became acidic or there was some moisture in the crankcase of some sort or you know if the breather's not working properly I know the Cummins has a breather on it but it's got a sensor there that would tell it if it wasn't breathing properly yeah if it got yeah, too restrictive too restrictive it would know if there are light and D right yeah. right 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 so um, I, I guess it could be with the base number being low but if this is one of the modern oils with the new you know with the new method if it's not then then definitely it was acid. But I've been, uh, I read an article, I should forward it to you. I'll, I'll find it again after we're done with the show and send it to you. But evidently there's a different scale now, basically. Yeah. Hmm. For that. And they gave equivalencies. Yeah. So, I... and what did they look like? Was it just wear? Did they look oxidized? Did it look like they'd sat out in the weather or something? What did the, what did the bearings look like? What did the, what did the mains look like? You know, they never did show them to me, but they told me when they dropped the pan, there was actually, you know, it was glitter and there was, there was definite, uh, what I would say, shavings or whatever, but they never showed me anything, never showed me the bearings, the oil or nothing. They just so, just replaced them, you know. I just, so, yeah, that would have been from acidity. I've seen bearings that were attacked by, by acidity and oil, and they, they have a uh, – they really change colors. They're not that the nice uh, uh, polished look. They, they look really – they look like you sat them out in the weather. I mean, they look, they look weathered uh, almost. Uh, yeah. So, but – if you if you had glitter, to me that means something else. You've got uh, some sort of foreign substance in there. Something was going on. Yeah, I, but we didn't the, see. What's the, what did the rest what did, what did the rest of that analysis look like, Kevin? It looks good. Any, I mean, we how was the how was the iron? You know, the iron was at sixty one with eighty six thousand miles. That's nothing. I mean, that's not a problem. Uh, we had a little yeah, bit not, of that's not horrible. Chromium at three, no nickel, aluminum at four, copper at twenty two. But that's because we got into the copper on the bearing. Tin, the bearing. Tins yeah, at, got into the copper on the bearing. Yep. Yeah, yep. tins at one. Silicon was at ten, a little high. But again, when you run eighty six thousand miles with just a spinner you're going to get those kind of contaminants in there. I, you know, again, it, it, it does some great oh, things, sure. but it, I don't believe it's good for extended drains. <laughs> Any potassium? There is virtually no sodium or potassium. Okay. All right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, f- 15 on the sodium, 8 on the potassium. That's nothing. Nothing, no. Yeah, I I just ten on the silicones, nothing. No, I, no, I I just don't see anything in here that would have caused a bearing failure and shavings. So were they worn evenly across the border? Was there one? Was there one specific one? Was it? Was it? Did they tell you if they were just all worn, or were they? Uh... Um, boy, you know, I think that they pulled 
for some reason they pulled like three and five at first. And if I remember, I don't have to look at my worksheet, but I think that they said that those two were the worst, but they did end up replacing them all. But I think three and five, if I remember right, definitely were. And, and your oil pressure is always good. You don't have any issues with that at all. It's, you know, after I put that spinner on there, it dropped down just a smidge, like maybe two or three pounds. Okay. But, um, because it used to hold right at 40. And then after I put that on there, it dropped down just a little bit. And even now watching, it's probably running about 38, 39 pounds now. But this is a pretty recent oil change on it. Hmm. Yeah, 1,800 pounds. I'm more, I'm more inclined to think that, uh, Getting some air into the oil pickup or something, I, I, yeah, like a, some sort of starvation issue or something else going on. Oh, did they put new okay. O-rings on the uh, on the oil pickup when they did it? I don't know. I didn't look okay. at that parcel all, all right. that close. Hmm. See the spinner now. The spinner has air pressure going to it but i put a regulator on it and backed it way down because i had wondered about that too and i've got it right. running about 15 pounds or something you think that still might be no that, that's not going to hurt it that's just that just okay. that just runs a little air motor in there that spins the centrifuge around and then that oil that comes out of the spinner is should just simply be returned to the crankcase it shouldn't ever end up uh, back into the uh, oil galley so that should have okay. time to, to deaerate when it gets back into the engine, no problem. So I wouldn't do that. Uh, All right. Keep an eye on it. I would just keep an eye on those samples. Uh, I'd maybe sample a little more often and, uh, and and watch for a trend. Yeah, and I with just the spinner, I wouldn't go past 25,000 on your drains. If you want to go longer, I'd certainly get some sort of true bypass, uh, preferably an OPS. We'll... Uh, We'll have to wrap this up. We're all out of time. We'll do it again real soon. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to Ethan and John and Pittsburgh Power. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford. All right, we're going to do a second hour. Looks like we're pretty well loaded with questions, so we're just going to go ahead and get started. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking, and today is the Power Hour. I've got Ethan and John with me from Pittsburgh Power. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about everything maintenance. Engines, performance, fuel mileage, upgrades, modifications, torque, horsepower, emissions, 
new technology, you name it, we'll talk about it. And we've got a lot of calls on the line as usual. We're going to jump right into some phone calls today. So, Ethan and John, welcome. We're heading off to Nevada. George, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Uh, You should have my oil sample there. You also had another phone call a while back about a guy who had Dorothy put on. I also had my um, intake manifold replaced with the uh, Pittsburgh Power One. And for some reason, I'm getting some oil in that cup when I took it out, and I'm just kind of of wondering what might be going on. My first um, uh, tank of fuel, I got the good fuel mileage, and then all of a sudden I, I heard something, and then... I lost power. I lost fuel mileage. So I'm just wondering what might be going oh, on. Yes. Uh, you uh, let's make, let's my... make sure you don't have a, yeah, let's make sure you don't uh, have a boost leak somewhere. Double, double triple check our uh, hoses and plumbing on there. Make sure everything's uh, still sealed up nicely. Uh, Maybe, every now and then you have to retighten that stuff. Well, I already did, but now I'm getting oil um, out on the back of my air hoses, and I'm getting oil accumulation on my side panels. Hmm. Boy, I don't know. You're losing oil someplace. Yeah, let's find the oil, where the oil's coming from first. Um, Yeah, that shouldn't be... uh, All the the Dorothy does is uh, intercept some exhaust on its way back to the intake, so it really can't uh, affect uh, anything like that. It will catch oil if your engine is for some reason. I've got one truck, one of our uh, early ones that we've done. Every time we bring it in and we check, he's got uh, the soot that's in his is this sticky, oily substance. It's almost like black tar. Uh, so right, evidently exactly. that means his engine's burning oil for some reason. Yeah, so there's something else going on that's uh, that's causing that. Uh, we've got another one that puts these little things in there that look like little, little rabbit turds. So it, it has little balls inside of it. And then we've got another one that... It just cakes inside of, and you have to dig it out. So it seems that every engine has its own personality here with the uh, uh, with what we're catching in that thing. But uh, yeah, so you bought one of the tarry ones. So that's uh, so your engine may be burning a little bit of oil for some reason. Uh, we might want to do an oil flush on it if we get you back through. That would that would clear up any carbon that might be built up on the ring lands that could be causing the engine well, to you... burn a little oil. Yeah, but I, or do we do a flush I, on it when you're here? Yeah, you, mine, mine is the one that had the flashing dash lights when, after you got done with the tune-up. It's the red Kenworth. Okay. Does that bring a bell? about this one. Mm, so big, not really. I, you were here in September? Yeah, I gave you my okay. phone number and name. Red Kenworth. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the flashing dash, did that all straighten itself out, the flashing no. dash lights? No, you still have those. I've seen that on one other one. Okay. It was one of the uh, yeah. swing trucks. Right. And the dash would flicker at first, and then it stops. Right. Mm-hmm. Does it stop? Does it do that? No. Okay. Oh, well, yeah, it does first stop started. after 30 seconds. And okay. I thought, you know, maybe huh. you were going to look into that also and, and see, yeah. you know, what might be causing that. I know I need to get... Oh, we could definitely look into that for you. Yeah, what? Oh, go ahead. Um, I Why don't you give me a call here. after the show? All right. All right. We that will works. do... As far yeah. as your oil sample, looks fantastic. 
I mean, there there is nothing on this oil sample to, to comment about. It's a zero. Um, it, you could pour oil out of the jug sometimes, and it might not be this clean. <laughs> well, I have the OPS, but <laughs> but 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 the but the um, the oil is you know dirty again. But other than that, you know, the sample is saying that you know at least it's it's doing what it's supposed to do. Yeah, well, I'll correct so what's you. Our, uh, the, what's our soot numbers hit, Kevin? Uh, the soot, let me open it back up. I, I'll correct you on one thing. When you said the oil is dirty, no, it looks dirty. It gets that black look, but it's absolutely clean. That's the beauty of a sample. We know that. Uh, soot was uh, less than 0.1. All right, good. Yeah. Okay. I, that, I, and clearly... That's all. That almost never happens on an ISX. The ISX is about the sootiest engine we see in oil samples. So to have one at point one, he's got the OPS and the Dorothy, and like I say, that oil looks like you poured it out of the bottle, as far as you know the analysis goes. Granted, they get dirty looking, but um, I tell people all the time: forget all those old school tricks like you know smelling it, tasting it, rubbing it on your forehead. None of that stuff works. That's why we do oil samples. <laughs> Let's. Uh, yep. So, but hey, yeah. please give me a call afterwards, and we'll talk about uh, the flashing lights and, uh, and what else is going on there. With your, uh, said you had a noise and you don't have fuel mileage anymore. So I'm really leaning toward a uh, a boost leak somewhere. So I think we might need to get a smoke test done on this thing. There you go. We're going to head off to Missouri. John, welcome to the program. Hey, guys, I was sitting and laughing when you're talking about the backseat reminder. I use a navigation program that tells you where the accidents are, where the cops are, but it also has a built-in backseat reminder as well as where did I park my car. And I'm thinking, you know, if you can't figure out where where you've left your car and if you can't remember that you've got a kid in the backseat, what does our society come to? That's unreal. Well, (laughs) it's terrible, isn't it? I mean, technology, you know, I, I... I love it, but what I don't love about it is I used to remember everybody's phone number. I was like a walking phone book. Yeah, me like too. I could remember phone I, numbers for everyone, and now that I put it in my phone and it keeps it for me, you remember I don't anymore. Nothing. Like I, I don't know. use that part of my brain anymore. Hopefully, I'm using it for something else. But yeah, somebody ask you what your phone number is, you'll be like, uh, "Let me check real quick." <laughs> right. I got to look yeah. at my phone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, just just to give you an I idea, a I, questions. I, I told you I was out looking at cars, and one of them I was really interested has an app because there's an app for everything now, and the app is unbelievable. It does tell you. You open it up, it'll show you right on the map where your car is. So if you can't remember where you parked at the mall. You'll know where your car is. From the app, you can start it, turn on the seat heaters, set the, set the temperature inside. I, just about, you can roll the windows down, roll them up, lock the doors, unlock the door, whatever you want from the app. It's just crazy. <laughs> I got a couple of little questions. I have a 15579 ISX. When I first bought it used with 360-something thousand miles on it, every once in a while, right after I started it or right after I took off, took off, I got a uh, fuel filter clog error. Now I get a fuel filter clog error, but the, the gauge for the fuel filter pegs, and it only stays up there for a second, and it comes back down. 
I don't know if there's a flake of something getting in the line. If you look in the tanks, the, the fuel is crystal clear. You don't see anything on the bottom of the tank. Is that possibly just a short? Yes. I'm going with a short, yeah, or the sensor itself has got something on the tip of it. Have you taken the sensor out and cleaned it? Uh, no, I have not. That look at the connector. Or the connector, too, yeah. Uh, it yeah. might be all yeah, green. Yeah, and... yeah. Yep. Okay, I'm actually, I've got an appointment with you guys in the morning, and I just wanted to get a heads up ahead of time. <laughs> um, my second question is, I have a, uh, uh, a couple of stupid-ass gauges on here, like applied pressure, uh, brake pressure, and all that. Can you guys remove those and put in a a um, turbo boost and a uh, parameter gauge that would exactly match the the gauges that I have in here now? I mean, I'm I'm kind of anal about everything looking factory. Is that even an option? Can you wire it in and, and make it work just like it's supposed to? I'm with you on that completely. I'm the same way with my vehicles. I know we could do the boost pressure. I don't believe there's a factory. I don't know that answer. There might be. I mean, it calculates EGT. It should know it. It would be neat if they did make a gauge for it. Yeah, if they make it, it can be put in. Right. Um, but otherwise, we're going to okay. have to add one, and it's not going to look like it belongs there, and, and um, I'm with you on 100%. I, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't want that either. So, yeah, what I'd do is uh, I know we could do the boost pressure. I know that uh, – Packard makes that. That's all just multiplex. It reads it right off the computer. We could we could get you boost pressure gauge in there, no problem. Uh, but the uh, the exhaust temp, we'll have to do a little research on that. Maybe I'll I'll dig into that when we get off uh, the show here. Okay, like I say, I'll be there in the morning anyway. But uh, I, I, that fuel filter or fuel check the fuel filter one has really got me irked because it's getting more uh, uh, more frequent now. Got it. We'll get uh, we'll get to a break. We'll come right back, get to more of your calls and questions right after this. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got Ethan and John with me from Pittsburgh Power. We're going to get right back to your phone calls. We're off to Florida. Henry, welcome to the program. Greetings. Thank you for taking my call. I appreciate you guys taking the time out. You're welcome. What can we help you with? My question is Mac 4. Oh, just stop right there. Whatever your question is, we refuse to answer it. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I need a guy with a max four. So I'm, I'm waiting on uh, a fleet out of uh, Illinois is supposed to be sending me one to work on, but I, I need one. Look, go on. Let's, let's, let's hear it. Come on. Let's, let's break a rule here. Kevin. All right. All right. In Arkansas, North Little Rock, they got a bunch of Max Force trucks, internationals for sale. These trucks were like $35,000, $40,000. All of a sudden, they're down to fifteen grand. Now, let me get this straight. They're, mine bought let, one. let me get this straight. They're going to pay you 15000 to take the truck, right? I just, I honestly can't find a single upside to owning that engine. I, I just really can't. I've never heard a, a good report. To say that it's, it's you know, hasn't broke down yet is about the most positive thing I've heard about one. I haven't seen good fuel economy. Haven't heard anybody impressed with horsepower or torque. When they do break down, they're a nightmare. You're very limited on where you're going to get them worked on. Um, the resale value, and I'm not a big I don't care much about resale value, and it's a fifteen thousand dollar truck. But we saw what happened; they were thirty. They're on sale for half price. Buy one, get one free. Um, I, I, John, I, the, when this engine first came out, I, I was kind of excited, and the reason was manufacturers were finally starting to build with all the emission standards in mind. You know, like the DD15 from the ground up, the PAC car, those engines were engineered and designed to have the emissions on them, whereas all our other engines, we were just slapping stuff on, and it was all a problem. So I was excited. I went down to look at the first one. I opened the hood. I I didn't even know what to say. It had four radiators. It had three (laughs) high-temperature radiators and one low-temperature radiator. And I looked at all the plumbing on the top, and I thought, it's going to cost you $2,000 to get an overhead set because it's going to take eight hours to get to it. Because you can't get to it, yeah. Uh, That's an interesting deal. That that engine still intrigues me. It's it's an awful idea. I mean, to be so afraid of the DEF systems to do what they did. Uh, was just bizarre to me that it went that far down the road, and it actually kind of almost worked. Uh, you know, that engine uses 40% EGR, meaning that in, under full chat, you're pulling up a hill, making max horsepower, the EGR valves are full open, and the uh, turbo vanes are choked off. It's, it's 40% of the wow. air going into the engine is exhaust. Yes. It's, it's amazing that yeah. it even runs. And so you're running on a whole lot of CO2, which isn't a bad thing if it was coming out of a CO2 bottle and didn't have a bunch of other stuff mixed <laughs> with it. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. The whole thing, is, it, it, I find it really intriguing. I can't wait to get my hands on one and play with one, especially with all the lawsuits flying around and everything with, with Navistar there. It would be really cool to be able to fix it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I'd stay away from it personally. I mean, I, I, you know, I'd love to get one here to play with and see if I, you know, because, of course, I figure, think I could solve the problem. But, uh it's uh, it's an interesting beast, that's for sure. Well, it half off just by two, and when one breaks, and you have a backup one. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and a, honestly, I think the Pro Star. I, I, you know, I personally dig the Pro Star. I think the Pro Star is a darn good looking truck. 
you put all the aero stuff on it, let it lowered a little bit. I saw one on the road one day a few weeks ago that was all flat blacked out and stuff. It was a really neat looking truck. But, uh, you know, aerodynamic wise, style wise, uh, fit finished, interior stay together, everything's nice and tight, the doors close with a thug. I mean, they're really not bad trucks. But uh, that engine, yeah, I don't know what to, I don't know what to tell you about that. I'd, I'd probably steer away from it even at fifteen grand. Alrighty, uh, thank you, sir. I appreciate your time. All right, uh, and John, you know, I'm with you. No problem. The, the Pro Star, and I was, uh, you know, there was a time when I ran all internationals. When I was in Northeast Ohio, I just had a, a really good international deal, dealer and a sales guy I really liked, and he always found the used trucks that I wanted. So I ran a lot of internationals mostly with Cummins back then, because um, there was no way I was going to run any of their engines. Um, but, you know, an international with a Cummins was a great combination for me for a long time. But I I agree on the, the Pro Star. Great-looking truck, a lot of things I like about it. But then it's Big Brother, the PT Cruiser on steroids. Where did that thing ever come from? <laughs> I have no idea. That's terrible, though. Yeah. It really is. <laughs> that, that like, everything they got just... right about the Pro Star, they got wrong about that thing. Exactly. I, it, just, it was, uh, yeah, that's it's... bizarre to me. Some people love them. you got to watch it. The Lone Star. Oh, what a great I, name for it, too. I, I live but, with somebody uh, who thinks that's yeah. the best-looking truck on the road. <laughs> really, she does. She does. She thinks that is the best. She loves that thing. She's like, if we oh, no. if we were going to go back into trucking, you'd have to buy one of those. I'm like, oh yeah. Well, we're not going back into trucking just for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why she told you that. <laughs> yeah, that, that could be. That could be. Because it really wouldn't be a bad time to get back into trucking. To be honest with you, Kevin, you could probably make some money right now. <laughs> You know what? Seriously, if I got back into trucking right now, I'd go order me a couple Teslas. I I would take the chance. I had a guy call me over the weekend who has a deposit on one. He's really excited about it. An owner-operator, he's going to keep. He's got like a 2016, maybe a Cascadia or something. I forget what it was. He's going to keep that, and he wants one of these. And he says, you know, I'll keep my my other truck. if uh, he, He obviously does really well in trucking. Um, he says, if it's that bad, I'll have the other truck. You know, I don't want to be stuck without something. He says, but I want one of these. It, and then the more we talked about it, um, and, you know, we talked about some of the autonomous technology they'll have in their possible platooning. And he's like, should I buy one or two more? And I'm like, well, you might want to hold off on that. I, I'd be willing to take a chance on one. As, as a small fleet, I don't know that I'd put uh, too many on the road right away. But I, I would... If I were going to buy a truck, I'd take the chance just just for the fun of owning one of those things. If it were a year or two from now, I think maybe I would. If I if I were going trucking tomorrow, I'd just buy a new Cascadia. Oh well, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I'd go get the I, Cascadia. I'd get the high torque, uh, lower horsepower engine with the one ninety one or the two nineteen gears and the D twelve, and I would just go start making money. I had uh, dinner with a customer last week, a fellow named Ernst, who's a show listener, and paid quite a compliment to you, actually. He uh, is a successful businessman. He sold a couple of businesses. He uh, was looking to start a business again, something to do. He's got a you know youngish family, and he's uh, just you know got into trucking. And you know, I didn't get exactly why he did that. He was involved in, in tech businesses and stockbrokers and stock and things like that. 
And he, you know, had some money set aside, and he went and bought a truck, and he bought a Cascadia, and he went and worked for a company for about six months and learned how to drive, and he's been doing it for a year and a half or so now, and says he learned everything from you. So he just listened to the show. He said, I do what Kevin says to do. I'm making money. Uh, he's enjoying it. He doesn't push extremely hard. He says it's about 100,000 miles a year, and he makes a nice, nice chunk of change out of that. Yeah, so, well, that You can do it. That, absolutely. Right now, you're right, it's a good time. I would do everything you just said, except for the. it wouldn't be the Cascadia. It'd be the uh, 4700 from uh, Western Star. Oh, the Western Star version of it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a, that might be a slightly even better looking truck. But boy, I, lo- I love the new Cascadia with the sharp edges on it. Yeah. That, pretty... that new, the new hood and door treatment they've got on that thing just looks sharp to me. Yeah. And they've got the American Racing Wheels option. You get the flat black American wheels on it and stuff. It, it looks pretty cool. So. Yeah. It, but, it uh, is. Yeah, no, the, it, the Western Star is another one. That's uh, it's, It'd be the same truck. It'd be the same stuff. Yeah, yeah, same same drive line gear. But and all I really that. think you could just, yeah, yeah. But I think you just go to work. I mean, I think really, you know, the way you, you've got with truckstop.com and the way Landstar does their, does their deal now, I mean, yeah. you know, you've got an app on your phone. You've got your ELD, so you don't have to do all those miles and states and all that crap anymore. And you could hop in, and, and I think you're making a living. Drive and make money. It's a beautiful thing, you know, and that that's quite yep. a compliment from you know yeah. a successful business owner. But but here's one of the things I found. I, I remember reading a book a long time ago. It's all about McDonald's, and the whole history and and you know the Ray Kroc story is a pretty interesting story. Like a lot of those guys, he wasn't all that nice of a guy, really. Um, he but he was obviously good at no. what he did. But one of the things I remember was when they were looking for franchisees. There's the music. I'll come back. We'll uh, I'll tell that story, and then we'll get to your calls and questions. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got Ethan and John with me. So I, I remember the, the McDonald's thing. They said when they were looking for franchisees, they didn't want people with MBAs. They didn't want people with business experience. They had the best luck with people coming off the farm. You know, maybe they sold some farmland. They had the cash um, because they their system, they believed, was was right 
They didn't want anybody messing with it. They didn't want people who would think, well, I know a better way of doing this, which is what the, all the MBAs and the entrepreneurs would try to do. So they tried to improve the system, and McDonald's didn't want them messing with anything. And I find that in trucking. I mean, the, the program I put together is almost like a franchise. You know, it, it spells out step-by-step step exactly what you should be doing to be successful. And I find that guys with a little bit of business experience, when they follow it, they're wildly successful with very little or no experience in trucking. They do great. Well, he's that situation, but he was more the, the MBA than the guy off the farm, but he was smart enough to listen. You know, so, okay, yeah, so that's, that's, the, that's the, the brilliance of it. But, uh, yeah, terrific. I mean, it was just a great guy. I really, really enjoy customer. I really enjoy having around. And, you know, we went and grabbed dinner one night. It was a great story. But, yeah, he totally credits you. So I guess I just do, I just do what Kevin says. Well, <laughs> it's really easy. Quite a compliment. <laughs> Next time you see him, tell him I said thank you. And congratulations, because I love stories like that. You know, we have a, a, enough negative news in this industry. I love hearing the good side. And I think we're going to have a lot more of those stories in 2018. It's looking like it's going to be a good year. Let's uh, let's go to real quick, Kevin. Oh, go ahead. Oh, okay. yeah. Ethan was uh, poking around on the internet while we were there. And uh, UPS just pre-ordered 125 Teslas Ooh. semis. Wow! Now, see that to me is ideal. There's another one. Yeah, those are the companies that really should be all over this because they have such a controlled environment. I mean, how hard would it be for UPS? They run terminal to terminal to put charging stations right in their own facilities. You know, people say, oh, how are we ever going to build out this infrastructure? There's electricity at every building in the country. It's already there. I mean, imagine if you had diesel fuel pumped to your house in every building. That's what electricity is. (laughs) It's already everywhere. You know, it might need a little bit of an upgrade. We have to put in a station. But the infrastructure for electricity is already everywhere. And Tesla claims Absolutely. we don't even care if there's infrastructure. We're, we're going to build solar anyway. So it's um, – Right. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I think you're going to see companies like, um, you know, FedEx, UPS, the, the um, you know, LTL companies with terminals. They are clearly um, the, the first ones that can take advantage of this kind of technology with, with fewer issues. But I, I don't see why – you know, Walmart ordered some. I, I'm positive they're going to have charging stations at their distribution centers. Why wouldn't they? Oh, absolutely. Yep. Now. Again, that's going to change supply chain. Yeah, go ahead. To a huge degree. The whole the whole science of moving things around is going to be catered to this. It's all going to be different. And another thing I'm seeing young people go to college for, uh, I've got a friend whose son is at WVU right now studying supply chain logistics that's that's a degree now so it's you know it's all going to be it's going to be very much in flux you're going to have uh it's going to be really interesting the way freight gets moved around in the near future that's really going to change and i believe things like charging stations and the ability to do that and going terminal to terminal is going to be a thing now uh you know which is actually great for the guys going over the road i mean they're not going to uh you know have to go into the cities as much and things i think are going to be quite different in that regard um, which also lays the groundwork for autonomous, but let's not go down that path. <laughs> right. So it, 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 there's so much going on. You just talked about the supply chain. It's hard to get your head around. 
the whole blockchain thing I, I don't even want to talk about because it's it's too hard to get your head around that but that's going to change logistics I, I, the go ahead. i've been completely obsessed with it i've been i've been uh, i've been watching i've been watching endless youtube uh uh videos about it and i've been uh, learning about how to how to mine cryptocurrency and uh, yeah i'm all i'm obsessed right now it is it's <laughs> the just whole blockchain I, thing the blockchain thing is just incredible but all the technologies coming together 3d printing which is going to bring manufacturing back to a small scale because manufacturing kept getting driven to bigger and bigger scales it was the only way to make money that's how everything ended up in china and mexico but now they're saying, look, technology, we, we can produce small again and cost-effective. So it means we're going to have products manufactured here again and locally and regionally because you don't have to have this big, massive factory to make money. That's going to change. The ELD, it, it just it fits much better to do short to medium-term runs with an ELD than it does long. I think, you know, 10 years from now, which happens quickly, the whole supply chain is not going to look anything like it looks today. I agree. Crazy stuff. Could be exciting, though. Lots of opportunities. That's the thing to remember about all this. You know, we're not saying it to freak everybody out and scare everybody. I'm saying it because anytime there's massive change and disruption, there is huge opportunities. Companies are going to come out of nowhere and become giants, and giants are going to disappear. Let's uh, absolutely. Let's head to Oklahoma. You can, tell by, you nope. can just tell by who's investing right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, oh, go ahead, Paul. It's your turn. Yeah. Uh, the only decent engine international ever made was the one that. They stuck in the Ford pickup truck, the 7.3 power stroke. <laughs> so, um, also known as the T444E. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you remember the song, uh, Six Days on the Road and I'm Going to Make It Home Tonight? Yeah. Yep. Well, I, I reworded it for Pittsburgh Power and the ELD. So, <laughs> oh, no. I, I can't sing, but... I can't sing, but just, just, just imagine the imagine the six days on the road. I'm gonna make it home tonight. So, well, I pulled out of Pittsburgh Power, rolling down the Eastern Seaboard. I got my diesel wound up, and she's running like never before. I got a tune, an eighteen double over, sitting in front of a two sixty four. There's a speed zone ahead, all right. I could pass everything in sight. Six days on the road. And I hope my ELD will let me make it home tonight. <laughs> the DOT is checking on down the line. I'm a little overweight, but my ELD's right on time. Nothing bothers me tonight. I can dodge all the scales all right, but I'm not sure if my ELD will let me make it home tonight. My rig ain't old, but I choose to drive it slow. Ain't no flames from the stack, and I ain't blowing no coal. Well, my home time, my hometown is just out of sight. If you think I'm happy, you ain't right, because my EOD ain't gonna let me make it home tonight. All right, That's it. I, I, I thought we might get one verse, not a whole song. Now, 
Now that I know you have a whole song. You got the I, whole song. I, I'm, I'm already working on a GoFundMe campaign, Paul. We're going to raise money to get you singing lessons and a record deal. <laughs> I'm sure we can find someone to sing it on. One of, one, of those, one of those guys that goes to the truck show that does the parody songs, that, like that Brad James, I think his name is. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, that, that's that all awesome. I had today. Well, that, that's all we need, I, that's I for sure. <laughs> Thanks. Let's uh, let's go to <laughs> Pennsylvania. Doug, welcome to the program. Hello. How are y'all today? Good. What's on your mind? Good. Good. How are you? Oh, hey. I just got a really quick question for you on these glider kits. I got one with a a 2016 Freeglider Auto Glider kit. It's got a Cummins ISX in it. Uh, 98 emissions sticker says, but in order to get ELD exempt, I have to have a paper from Cummins saying that the manufacturing date of the engine was before 99. Well, when Cummins remanufactures the engine, they give it a whole new serial number, which they come, mine come back manufactured in 2014. Is there a block casting number or something on the engine that I can go with to prove that it's 99 or earlier? It, is it actually a family number that would have been 99 or earlier? If it's a 98, it would be a CM570 with an ISX. Right. Well, what, what, EM, what EPA family is that? So? That's a, that was pre-EGR. That's a, so, but does that, that, could it be one that was pre-99? Is my, yeah. So if it's the correct family, you should yeah. hold, hold that thought. We'll come back. I wish it were that simple, but it doesn't seem to be. We'll talk about that right after this, and we'll get to more of your calls and questions as well. This is the Power Hour. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got Ethan and John with me, and we are talking to Doug in Pennsylvania. So it, there are a couple issues here in that the the FMCSA totally dropped the ball on this. Um, they had been going all along with the VIN number on this whole 99 thing, and everybody kept saying, wait a minute, what? why does the VIN number have anything to do with this? It's an engine issue, and we have gliders, and so th- I, I'm still not clear. I, you know, 
I pride myself on doing research and finding answers, but I tell people right up front, if it's compliance, I just can't do it. Um, I I can't waste the brain power on this stuff. Uh, So I think that somewhere in the ruling it is about the engine now. I don't know if they've finalized that or what law enforcement knows. But then we have a problem like this where, you know, we're not even sure how we're supposed to prove that the engine is pre-99. Um, I don't know. They, unless you guys, John, Ethan, well, my, have that's more. A, they got the rule completely. The, the rule's completely wrong as far as I'm And it, it doesn't even need this. But no, if they're going to draw a line, anything with a 1939 connection or a 1708 connection should have to have an ELD on it, period. That's just how it should work. That's back to like 90. Yeah, because you can just plug it in. You don't even need to. These things could be. You know, these okay. things don't need to even hook to the engine. They've got. You can just hook a GPS up to it, and it knows. Right. All it knows is if the truck's moving but or not. There's nothing more to it. Same question, both on the Detroit remand engines for gliders right. and the Cummins one, and I haven't found yeah, I an answer say, for that one yet. Yeah. So I mean, I was, yeah, was going to say I've got a buddy that's got a Detroit. Or pre-EGR. Yeah, yeah, and it has the 06 RE serial number. Right. And that throws a loop in it when you call detroit all they'll tell you is right. what you have right yeah this is so i don't know what to tell you and i'm, I, I'm I with either. kevin on this too a couple of weeks ago kevin you, you said what i thought they're going to clarify it at some point all these guys are going to go out of their you know going to go crazy trying to get a uh, uh you know a 99 engine or make it look like the truck has a 99 or earlier engine and all of a sudden the rule's going to change to anything with a plug in the dashboard is going to going to have to comply which is bound to be somewhere down the road. I mean, someone's going to talk to somebody and say, "Hey, look, this is stupid," um, and that's what's going to. That's what I think will happen. Maybe I'm wrong. There already, I read something this morning about the personal conveyance and some other things being opened up already. They're already tweaking some of the rules, exactly. You know, to, to right. soften things so, a little bit to help you guys get around. So, yeah, I, to me, it's just life's easier when you follow the rules. I mean, my my rule in motorsport always was you could spend a whole lot of effort trying to skirt a rule. And, uh, you know, go just as fast with the rule. So, to me, it's just, uh, you know, I know that sucks for a lot of things and a lot of of stuff that's not right about it. But the the problem really are the rules, not the the device itself. Right. So, So, you know, I I don't try often to predict what the government's going to do because I hate being wrong. Um, But if we just look at this logically, (laughs) clearly the FMCSA put no effort into this part of the rule. Because they, why did they come up with 99? Uh, it, it made no sense. So I have to believe that it's going to become an issue because of questions like this. It's one of the first things I think they're going to go back and review. And my thought is once they review it and put a little bit of thought into it, they might just get rid of the exemption completely because there isn't any reason why we couldn't be driving a 1959 Brockway with an ELD. Absolutely, yeah. Well, and I think where the for the pressure is going to come from the guys in the field. So the enforcement officers, right. out there, the DOT guys, the guys out there working at the uh, at the way stations are going to be the ones saying, "Hey, this is a pain in the ass trying to figure this out." Exactly. Yeah, so whenever their rank and file are upset, and go to them and say, "Well, I think they'll do a standardized." But uh, but we're being logical, and, and the government <laughs> is not. That's so what I it said. It would be really yeah. difficult for us to predict this. Exactly. So we're just going to have to wait and see how this shakes out. But you're right. It's going to be enforcement that's going to have to deal with all this, and that's where all the pressure is going to come from. Let's go to Iowa. Randy, welcome to the program. 
Hi, guys. What's on your mind today? Hi, how are you? Hey, I got a question about um, um, my idol. Um, Ethan and John, this is Randy and Mimi. Hey, how are you doing? Good. Hey, um, Ethan worked on my idol one time before, and he got it going. And um, all of a sudden, it's just quit again. Uh, y'all have any ideas what I can look at to maybe try to fix it? Self idol. Yeah. Okay, and you yeah, have I one have of our laptops in your truck too. Yeah. Okay, so what I want you to look at is when you get a chance, you're going to hook the laptop up, open up Diagnostic Link, and across one of the tabs on the top, you're going to see it's going to see say ECMIO, which stands for Input Output. You're going to want to click on uh-huh. that one, and it'll bring up all of the inputs and outputs of your ECM. Now, the ones you're going to want to look for is you're going to flip your cruise switch on and off, and both the reset, resume also, and you'll see it switch states on the screen. And then you're going to press your parking brake off, and you should see one will be labeled parking brake, and one will be labeled service brake, and then you'll press the service brake. One of those switches is not working, and also the clutch pedal. Okay. And it could be that one of the pressure switches or one of the wires have rubbed, but you'll see that one of the components, inputs, for the bump idle is saying that it's not working, because if it thinks, does the cruise control still work? Yeah, the cruise console, yeah, it works perfect. No problems with that. Okay, so it's going to be one of the brake switches. So it either thinks that your parking or the parking brake is off all the time, which in which case the cruise uh-huh. control is perfectly happy. But when you're stopped, it thinks you don't have the brake on and it'll prevent the bump idle. Right. Okay. Well, we'll give that a try when we uh, we get stopped and take a look at it. If you have any questions, give me a call there. All right. Thank you, Ethan. All right. Let's head off to Kentucky. Jerry, welcome to the program. Hi. How are you guys today? Good. What's on your mind? Good. I've got a MX-13, very poor fuel mileage. I've been looking at your website. You have the Dorothy machine on there. Will it help me with my fuel mileage and what does it really do? Uh, what it does, it, it, it can help with the fuel mileage. We, we've seen some fuel mileage increases with some trucks. Uh, I don't want to hang my hat on that too much. I don't want to make any promises we can't keep. I'll tell you what it does do. Uh, what it does is it knocks some of the particulate matter out of the EGR flow. So what makes its way into the engine through the intake rather than uh, unfiltered exhaust in air you get filtered exhaust in air, so it's taken some of the particulate matter out of the EGR flow, which seems to have increased combustion efficiency. So we see a slight reduction in exhaust temperature, and we have seen uh, across the board, if everything's working right, we've had a couple instances where we didn't have this, but generally we see a decrease in DEF consumption, uh, which means that the en- engine's generating less NOx, which also means that we've got more a more efficient burn in there, which we can attribute to... Uh, having less particulate matter in the intake charge. So basically you're burning cleaner air, so you get a more complete burn, so that should lead to improved fuel mileage. And we have seen uh, 
the one truck we saw, you know, significant amount, and then across the board after that, I've got to throw that one out as an outlier. I only want to mention what what he got, but it, it was big. But we have seen four to seven tenths uh, pretty consistently. So four tenths is kind of the norm. Uh, every now and then we'll see one that's up around six or seven tenths in fuel mileage. Okay, I was just curious because I'm, I'm what, what year was your truck again? Two. Mine's a thirteen. Kenworth 680. 13, okay. And I'm right. And I'm only at about like 6.2 on uh, mile per gallon, so uh, I'm struggling here with that. I don't know if I should buy a different truck or whatever. So I'm looking at all the aftermarket products on, online and stuff. So we're still working on a tune for that. We don't. We're not. Uh, we don't have it. I know I've been saying this for a year and a half now. Uh, it's been difficult for us to find the files we need to get the tuning done on the MX. Uh, we do have one truck out there running that we've tuned uh, slightly. That's we made. We found it like 50 horsepower. It wasn't much. So uh, we're still still working on that. That's not quite there yet. Uh, any other mods to it? Have you done anything else to it? I have not. No. No. Okay. The fleet air filter will definitely help. Uh, that engine seems to respond pretty well to the fast as well. Uh, I don't know what it's going to buy you for fuel mileage, but uh, it seems to smooth it out a little bit. The uh, but the the fleet air is about it. Anything else you can think of, Kevin, on an MX? No, I think that's that's going to cover most Kevin. of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, but stay in touch. Okay. All right. I will do. Thank you very much. You're welcome, and that's right, going to you. do it for this show. Thanks to John and Ethan and Pittsburgh Power. We'll see you next time. Be safe. Be profitable, be fit and healthy, always do the hard work, and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford. All right, everybody, thanks for joining us. We'll see you back here tomorrow for Destination Health. Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye.